0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America, NA member FDIC. Welcome to another edition of Children of Song, the podcast that explores what it must have been like to grow up surrounded by music. Well, today we have a singer songwriter in the studio who's been at it for quite a while. You may not know her by name, but you probably heard her music on your favorite TV show. Her voice has been heard on over 400 film and television spots, which, I mean, honestly, let's face it, that's impressive. She's in two bands and has just released her third solo album, Helen of Memphis. We're going to hear about her childhood and who her influences were in a minute. But first, I'm Brad Newman, the producer of this series, and once again, I'll be taking on the hosting chores for what should be an interesting look at an artist who keeps people guessing. We're bringing this to you from our podcast studios in Midtown Manhattan. Rick Busser is our engineer. You know, I say she keeps people guessing because I was listening to her solo albums, and I I found her music to have a hip, clever, soulful feel. And then I dug a little deeper, and I ventured into her collaborative efforts. And I thought I'd find a similar feel. And again, she's in a band with Andrew Simple called Danger Twins and another, Sugar in the High Lows, with Trent Dabbs. But you really couldn't find two different styles of music between those bands. I mean, from an upbeat club style type of music with some rap leanings with Danger Twins to a retro kind of groove with Sugar in the High Lows. Amy Stroop is proving she can do a lot of different things in the recording studio. And thanks so much for being with us today.
2: Yes, thank you so much. I'm excited to have a conversation with you, Brad.
0: You know, um, you have a really interesting childhood. You moved around quite mm-hmm. a lot. Um, your your dad, he was a minister.
2: He was. Um, he was a minister um, from a pretty conservative group, I guess, called the Church of Christ. And, um, you know, I was born in Boston. I lived in Memphis, lived in Florence, Alabama, Muscle Shoals, and then Abilene, Texas. And the cool thing I think about that, though, is Those are all really rich musical cities. And so I was absorbing kind of the influences in all those cities.
0: And your dad was, was he a music lover too? Because he couldn't, he hung out, it seems like in his off hours, you know, when he wasn't preaching the word. (laughs)
2: Yeah, he was. Okay. So my dad was never the preacher. Even now he's a, he's a chaplain at a hospital. And so, um, you know, he was never the the guy on the stage. He was always the person visiting the sick. Or he's actually a great um, a great man of faith. I really admire kind of how he's lived. But but yeah, um, both my parents were um, the type of parents that would. I, I remember one time in Florence, Alabama, we got in a car and actually drove to New York City to see um, Les Miserables. And my my family loved culture and music, and um, we would take many a road trip to go see a show. Um, so, yeah.
0: And your and your great-grandmother, she was a piano player, wasn't she? I heard that she played mm-hmm. in silent movies. Like, she would be the person in the theater that would be accompanying yes. the movie.
2: Yes, and I'd like to think. So, my great-grandmother, um, who I'm named after, her name is Frances, and that's my middle name, Amy Frances. Um, she, she was a, you know... She lived in a small town up in um, Dyersburg, north of Memphis. It was a town called Dyersburg. And she would play in the local theater to the silent movies. And I just love that piece because I would like to think that I have some of that DNA um, just because I love music and film. And I love, you know, that part of my story. And I love that that's what she did.
1: Too.
0: So your dad, he also hung out with a singer-songwriter, Walt Aldridge. Tell me, uh-huh. tell me about Walt because I think even at a young age, he, he, they brought you into some some songwriting sessions, right?
2: Totally. Um, there. Okay. So my dad. Um, he um he he got breakfast with Walt Aldridge and a couple of guys. There was another guy named Brad Chrysler who Walt um kind of mentored, and this was in Florence, Alabama. And so you know Warner Brothers actually had a has a studio still down there for for country um, writers, um, and a lot of people of course have come to Florence. There's Fame Studios um, down there, and a lot of other good small studios to make music. But yeah, so my dad would uh, they would get breakfast once a week about six a.m. Um, so early, but they just kind of had this like breakfast coffee i wouldn't call it a club but club you know and they would all just hang out um and and i remember i was pretty serious about music or doing music from a small age i remember asking my dad if i could go to Walt's um studio it's called waltz time it was near una's campus which had a music business school in it and ask him how to be a songwriter and Walt said yes. And so I took a little notepad to Walt Aldrich's office or studio and was like, okay, how do I, how do I do this? How do I do what you do? Um, And so I always thought it was really cool, the songwriters, because, you know, they're the names. Tim McGraw could be singing it or back then um, Heartland and some of these huge acts that were out and about. But I like to see, well, who was actually writing the songs in the liner notes. And oftentimes it was Walt or Brad um, in country music back then, at least what I was hearing on the radio. And so. um, So, yeah, I took my notebook down to his studio and. I remember he was kind of like laughing a little bit, but he was like, wow, she's serious here. And so, um, yeah, but later on, I I remember when I moved to Nashville, I was going there for school. I was about, I mean, 18, going to college. Um, I called up Brad to co-write. And, I mean, he's got these huge hits, you know, and he said yes. And I was like, oh, my goodness, he said yes. So I go to co-write with him. And after we write a song, I was like, why would you even take this co-write? And he was like, because you're Jesse's daughter. And I was like, wow. And he gave me a guitar because I was starting to play out. He gave me a guitar that would, I had acoustic guitar that wouldn't plug in, like if you were playing at a club. Mm-hmm. And uh, he gave me my first guitar that would actually plug in. Oh. So I took it around for a couple of years till I bought my own. But yeah.
0: That's really cool. Do you uh, have any of that song that you wrote together that we could hear um, a, a snippet of or, or even back in the day, give us a sense of, you know, maybe a Walt Aldridge song that we would have all heard of that Tim I McGraw mean, sang?
2: Sh- well, the one of the songs that I remember was I Loved Her First.
1: I loved her first. I held her first. And a place in
0: a great song that was actually sung by the band Heartland. Well, how about those early years? Because you you actually started writing. I heard you had a you had a band in fifth grade. I did have right? a band in fifth grade. Um, the Green Leaves, I think mm-hmm. they were
1: called. <laughs> yes.
2: Oh, yes. Being being in that uh, Christian culture, there's a there's a there's a proverb that says um, the righteous will thrive like a green leaf.
1: Ah. And so
2: I wanted to thrive, I think is the word that I like there. And so I was like, yeah, we'll be called Green Leaves. Um, But at that time, my mom loved the Beatles. Uh And so she, I think I'd heard um, Hey Jude and maybe a song called Yesterday. And so if I used to make tapes for my friends of me um, writing songs and, I thought it was cool to sing with a British accent because <laughs> British music was cooler. So I wrote this song called Munch, and it was pretty hysterical. But um, yeah, I always sing it with a British accent.
0: Let's hear it. Let's hear little <laughs> Munch.
2: This is hilarious. Bought it. And I would specifically sing the Bite It, like uh-huh. munch on a cracker with the English accent. It made no sense. So now y'all know I'm crazy. Oh, that's
0: <laughs> awesome. You you know, you, you come to Nashville, and I, from what I had read, even coming up to 18, you knew that was sort of a place that you were... What, what was calling you? Why was that town calling you?
1: Well,
2: I remember... Um, It seemed like we we moved around a lot. And I moved to Abilene, Texas when I was in um, starting eighth grade. And so my mom loved her family. And so we would oftentimes um, take road trips to Memphis. And my mom had great friends from high school that had moved to Nashville. And I remember just I would watch CMT, you know, growing up. And um, I love documentaries. I love to figure out, like, why people did what they did and how they did what they did and so I really remember watching um, Tammy Wynette or Dolly Parton or Loretta Lynn you know being from Abilene, Texas these were like you know the women of country music that I would you know look to to say how'd they do that you know and I remember Dolly saying you know she never felt like a songwriter till somebody cut her song and thinking well I want someone to cut my song um, and it seemed like you had to be in Nashville to do that mm-hmm. you had to it seemed like A lot of bands are in New York and L.A., a lot of great pop music and rock and roll. But it seemed like I was drawn to songwriters, and that seemed like they were all in Nashville.
0: It's a hard road there, though. I mean, you know, were you dissuaded when you got to town? Because if you don't click into the right Mm -hmm. people right away, um, I I think there are forces there that will push you out pretty quick. And there's there's people that have made it that will tell you they got pushed out.
2: Right. And had to
0: figure out how to make it other places.
2: Yeah, Nashville is a tough town. And I wanted well, I actually ended up going to Lipscomb University um there, but I was I was going to go to Belmont because I was, I was like I'd heard, you know, you need you need to be educated with the music business if you're gonna make it. And so I remember at Belmont you had to try out um on a performance instrument, whether that was guitar or piano and I had taken classical guitar from my grandmother's best friend since I was in second grade. So mm-hmm. I was well trained in classical music and had done competitions. But for some reason, I, I knew like female songwriters, they're playing guitar. No one, you don't see like too many songwriters in Nashville tickling the ivories, at least in pictures. So I was like, man, I really need to learn guitar. So my junior—in between my junior and senior year of high school in Abilene, I went to the local college and took classical guitar lessons from a professor there to try to get me ready for Belmont. And so I performed—for some reason I chose classical guitar. I probably should have chose piano, but I chose classical guitar, and I did not get into Belmont because mm-hmm. I, it wasn't up to par. And so I think that really— Kind of pushed me down a little bit, but I was like, you know what? I really feel like I'm supposed to be in Nashville. I feel like that's where I'm supposed to be. So ended up scoring well in the ACT, SAT, and got a full ride, academic ride, to Lipscomb and, and went because I just wanted to be there. I wanted yeah. to be in the city and start learning what from I,
0: people. What I really like about that, and and I don't know, call me crazy, is the idea that you wanted to study classic guitar, classical guitar Uh because you know I think a lot of people, country music people, writers would say the same thing. They just learned enough to make them dangerous on the guitar and the fact that you really wanted to to dig a little deeper. I mean, you wouldn't even use some of the fingerings probably that you were learning, but right. you, you wouldn't know how to learn the guitar and you learned how to play correctly, you know? Right. I think that's cool. And and I think everybody has their own journeys, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think Belmont probably wasn't where you were supposed to be at the time. And I was really glad as I was reading because I the way your journey was setting up for me, I was like, gosh, I don't know if she went to college. You
1: know? <laughs> and I was like, I
0: wonder if she regretted going there because it's such such a tough yeah. town. And I, I think that was good to get your feet wet in that town and yet totally. be studying, you know, to kind of ease in a little bit.
2: It it totally bought me time. And the friendships, you know, I wasn't every, when you go on Belmont's campus, everyone wants to do what you're doing. And I think that would have discouraged me. I think at Lipscomb, I was one of the only ones doing music. But I was a business major. I studied marketing and advertising. And so, and I minored, ended up minoring in classical guitar. But I didn't. I think it bought me time and, you know, one of the first people I met outside of my dad's friends that actually helped me do something was Nathan Chapman. And so, you know... He he taught me really how to co-write and really how to collaborate. But
0: and for people at home who don't know who Nathan Chapman is, he's he's obviously the famous producer of Taylor Swift. Which, you know, if I'm if I'm doing the math right on the years, it was probably right around the same. It time. It was the same time. So yeah. I, I mean. It, could that have gone differently for you, or do, you know, sure. your interaction with him? I mean, could, you know, could I be sitting here with Taylor Swift, you know?
1: <laughs> well,
2: you know, Nathan, he's an amazing producer, um, and he really was pushing me, like, the references he was bringing me was a little bit more in the Miley Cyrus, Taylor, Sw- where Taylor Swift has landed area, and... For some reason, I grew up listening to Patty Griffin, Lucinda Williams, um, you know, James Taylor. And so if I was going to do that sort of folk Americana country thing, I felt like it it needed to go in a different direction. And so we did, we made a, we made a pretty much a pop record and it just didn't feel like me. Right. Um. But, and, you know, it didn't get a lot of response from, I guess, you know, other people outside, but. I love Nathan and he's such a genius you know he taught me so many things but I I pursued a different sound mm-hmm. it felt like you know I was kind of rubbing up against this and maybe I should have, you know, you know, it's one of those things in life where you look at Taylor and you go, wow, that's such a great career. But I think she's definitely her own thing. She's, she's a brilliant marketing person as well as an artist. And so it just wasn't my path and that's all right. You
0: you know, you're similar to her in that you really do stretch yourself. I mean, your sound really does evolve. It seems from song to song, not even album to album. I mean, I, I've actually tracked through some of the early stuff. (laughs) You almost kind of feel a little progression along the way, which is really a a tribute to you. Can I get a little uh, sense of something early? Give us a, play me something early so we get Um, a sense of that.
2: Sure. I'm trying to think of something super early. Well, there was a song, let me see, there's a song... I don't know why this one comes to mind, but there was a song uh, called Just You that I wrote pretty early on. Um, and it was when I was still working with Nathan, and we considered cutting this one, but we actually didn't end up cutting it uh, together. But it, it was
1: just... Say I've waited for you all day I've waited for you all day, my love. So come quick. I'm ready for you always. I'm ready for you ways my love.
0: Mm, I like that.
2: It's super simple. Mm.
0: Yeah it's great really 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 good so your music is picked up by all these tv shows and movies mm-hmm. and i heard like a a dream for you is to one day win an oscar i i, I your music really does take you on these journeys i mean i cool. think the audience could really hear that with that one and i i never heard that song before um Tell me a little bit about that. How does, you know, a singer-songwriter who's trying to get herself established and catch the attention of fans and, you know, and the music industry, find herself all over TV and movies?
2: Sure. You know, I I came to Nashville and started co-writing, and one of the reasons why— you know I think people are like you write all kinds of different types of music who are you what are you and really I think that's the essence of a songwriter a songwriter is someone who just writes on you know a guitar piano and has a melody and you can color it production wise anyway and for me I like the variety it keeps me interested it keeps me chasing different sounds and so you know when I was first starting out and I've been writing with Nathan. I really I was watching some of those shows like Grey's Anatomy and shows that felt like radio for independent artists. And so I was offered a record deal about that time um, from um, a company that actually um, Don Donahue, Michael W. Smith. Um, it was more of a songwriting uh, label Um out of franklin tennessee and it just didn't feel right to do and so after i kind of said we went through some you know contracts and discussions i was like you know i want to see if i can do this independently and so um for me that meant maybe switching up (laughs) some producers that didn't cost as much (laughs) (laughs) and so um i met a belmont kid and was asked to sing on this guy named andrew bell's record and andrew needed he didn't have a budget and he needed a girl to sing some background vocals And growing up, I mean, I learned harmony because of the church I went to, we didn't have instruments. And so to make it interesting for me to be at church, I was singing harmonies, you know, the tenor part or the alto part, jumping all over. And so in Nashville, a lot of friends have asked me to sing harmonies on their records because it's just natural. And I just, I love it. And so Andrew Bell came to town. He's from Chicago. He's going to make a record. And Um, Tread Dabbs actually called and said hey do you want to go sing on this guy's record he doesn't have a budget just go see what you think about the song and I was like sure and so I went to where he was working and um, it was basically a house of you know the Belmont dudes he had this guy had a mattress up on the wall and a microphone under it and then all of his friends were just making music together it was I was like this is awesome you know it's a lot different from a stiff huge studio the big console is kind of intimidating And they played me some of the music that was being recorded. And I was like, those strings were recorded in this room? (laughs) This room? It sounds amazing. And they were like, yeah. And so I was like, can I record Thomas two or three songs with you? And he's like, sure, let's do it. And so I, of course, recorded with Andrew. And it was a song on his record called Reach. And then I recorded two or three songs with Thomas. And those were the songs that got the attention of, the people in L.A. that are making decisions of what songs are on Grey's Anatomy and what songs were on um, Parenthood. Parenthood had great music. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of the other um, shows. This, but, yeah. is,
0: this is kind of a lesson, I think, for artists out there, too, is that, you know, you can't be so snooty about how you think your journey is going to go. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I think you have to recognize an opportunity. And, and and know when it's a legit atmosphere whether you're in a beautiful room right. and there's consoles everywhere or, or you're in a room with a bunch of mattresses against the wall totally the, the, the art is the art right and and it does it can be made anywhere right you know um, that that's kind of an interesting lesson so so that really opened the door mm-hmm. and then once of course, Because obviously, you know, it's interesting here, and I I know this as a producer, you want something fresh all the time, and that is not out there. So the fact that those producers stumbled on you Mm -hmm. and really liked that sound, now all of a sudden they kind of got you in their back pocket thinking, (laughs) okay, write some more. they, They probably did approach you and say, listen, okay, so we've got another show coming up. Do you um, write something?
2: Oh, on um are you talking about in LA? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, aren't
0: those people totally. kind of wanting they, they want the stream to continue?
2: Totally. Yes. And you know, I've I've flown out to LA and watched um kind of pilot's trailers and been asked to do that sort of thing. But I really enjoy it. So I don't see it as anything but, hey, this is I don't know what's going to happen. You know, th- this is a song that I would not have set out to write had I had a session the next day. I'm, I'm watching a story on a screen and asked to kind of um, interpret what the character feels and thinks in this moment, in this narrative that's going on. And that excites me, and I love deadlines. So usually you have 48 hours to write an incredible cinematic song that they needed yesterday, you know, in these scenes sometimes. And so I like the thrill of that. Let's For hear
0: sure. let's hear one of those that you've come up with.
2: Oh, let's see. This one was on um this was on a uh, parenthood.
1: I look to you when i see nothing. When I look it's
0: nice it's really really cool um and i can see it also for an artist and i was an actor back in a a previous life (laughs) um you know we do crave deadlines don't we because Mm -hmm. um you know we kind of luxuriate in too much time and it's it's you know you you kind of play around too much and you, you you don't get anything on there but if somebody you know i know a friend who's actually done quite well for himself, the playwright J.T. Rogers. And I, I remember early in his career, I went to school with him, Um, the only way he could really get things going is if he had a director, another guy I went to school with, Gus Reyes, and they would basically say, you've got 48 hours to do this, and you're going to crank out a whole show. And this guy would basically write just pages and pages and pages and pages overnight. But when left to his own devices, now he's more you know, disciplined now. But I think he had a hard time in his 20s and and 30s without a deadline.
2: Sure. Yeah, I think... For me, because a lot of when I'm asked to write for something specific on a show, half the time it's not used. So usually when I'm given an assignment, what I tell myself is, all right, no matter if they use this or not, I'm going to try to write a great song so that they don't use it i don't hate it and i maybe i can use it myself and that's happened that's definitely happened before um there was a song called back to the corner it was for a big movie and they didn't use it they ended up using the eddie Vedder song that was uh-huh. already in it else was out a replacement it but i i loved it and so i put it on my record and then then it ended up on gray's anatomy or something else but <laughs> yeah but i was like that's always my rule to myself is uh-huh. no matter what i need to like it and be proud of the work that i turn in or
1: Nothing turns up the way you want it. Nothing plays up like you so in your mind.
0: So let's talk about some of the the latest work here. Uh the new album, Helen of Memphis, I- inspired um from your grandmother. Tell me this story. This is
2: Yeah. Um, in 2015, I was very close to my grandmother. Her name was Jo, and she lived in Memphis. And you know, we moved around a lot growing up, but Memphis was kind of the city that was my my anchor. Mm-hmm. Um, Christmas holidays were spent there, and so became very close to her. And um, you know, what's interesting about that is we. Elvis was always, something was always going on with Elvis in Memphis, whether that was his birthday is celebrated, obviously his, his death. Um, they're always doing something for Elvis. And it seemed like I was always there around the time. So it was kind of always funny just to come in and out of Memphis and really associate with Elvis. But Joe, um, she was a quiet woman. She was, I'm, I'm 5'8", blonde hair, green eyes. She was 5'2", very petite, brown hair, blue eyes, very quiet. But she loved um, a party. And so she had all these amazing coats, um, a camel coat that she wore and then a a couple of fur coats. And so she, she was a bridge club player. And, um, so my aunt called me after she passed away and said, Hey, you're about the only one in the family that would know what to do with these, these coats. Would you like them? I was like, absolutely. So she sends them to Nashville and I just do a photo shoot. And some of them just to kind of capture them. And the photographer was like, these are hysterical because they don't fit you very well. Right. They're totally the wrong size. But when we were going back and looking at the photos and I don't have a song called Helen of Memphis on my new record. But we were looking and we noticed the tag was just so cool. Um, And and the coat that and we kind of researched, you know, this was a woman shop in downtown Memphis. No longer there. But it was started um, by a Holocaust survivor, this female. And so there was this rich story of overcoming and, um, you know, she ran a business and all this stuff around this store. And a lot of my family ended up had had dresses or different things from it. So it was very much it was a store that a lot had dressed a lot of my family. But Mm
1: -hmm.
2: for me, Helen of Memphis, I can just imagine my grandmother going to these parties and being so quiet and introverted. Um, she probably felt great, though, in what she was wearing. And so I liked the idea that when she was dressed to the nun, she kind of had this inner confidence that I know came out. Um, and so that's – Helen Memphis is just a state of mind for me. It's it's being comfortable with yourself and walking into your own confidence, whether you're dressed well or not, just being, okay, you know, okay in your own skin, which is actually pretty hard to do. Um, you know,
0: you know, my mom is, she's quite quiet too, but she loves to party as well. I I think (laughs) just from observation, I can't speak for your, your grandmother. I I think some of those folks just love watching. Totally. They love taking it in And, and that's where their joy comes from. You know, my, my kids will try to pull my mom into it more, but she, she really does. She'd rather just enjoy watching the show.
2: Yes, and she's probably, if she's anything like my grandmother, you want to sit by her because she's got a little quiet side comment that's hysterical, but unless you're sitting by her, she's not going to tell the whole group. She'll tell you, though, if you're sitting by her. Yeah. That's
0: right. Yeah. Um, g- g- let's play something from the new album. Um, you know, there's you've got three singles now out uh, yeah. from it, but w- what's a good one to start with, you think?
2: Let me see. Uh, you know, a lot of this record, um, I wrote it, half in nashville it's kind of interesting because those songs kind of started on a guitar but everything in la kind of started with a beat or a bass line or a synth and so it's been hilarious um to try to go back for i'll I'll play you i'll play you stair acoustic which probably won't happen again um because it is so electronic but i can let's see if i can fumble through this or at least try here we go
1: is what they call it Polychromatic, dramatic and live without it once I saw you Face to face with fate cause I'm frozen now Can't become, won't be tame. Can't do nothing now Climbing towers Falling backwards When you're standing
2: So I tell you, it's really hard to play yeah, an acoustic. But I
0: think what you get there uh, from the folks at home, it, you you can really see how the music has grown, yeah, and and changed. You know, uh, it, there, there's, you know, it's almost like there's a real pattern to it too. There's a rhythm to the words, um, and you know, I, I think it's pretty original, pretty interesting. As an artist, you know, I think. And you tell me, and I've heard you comment on this, uh, how much you enjoy seeing the fans respond to your music.
1: Mm -hmm. How
0: how has that been? Because you travel a lot, you get around the country, and you do sing a lot of different kinds of styles. What's it like actually seeing the music, you know, sort of penetrate, resonate with people?
2: Sure. I mean, I think that's the point, too, is connection, right? Um, You know... A lot of us can just sit and write, and then when you really, when you go out on the road, which is actually takes a lot of work. I'm about to um, go back out on the road again. I'm playing with a. Uh rufus wainwright the great rufus wainwright in the next couple days but my favorite thing is i I do fly under the radar kind of in that songwriter singer songwriter land which isn't it's not on pop radio or it's not going to be a number one country song perhaps but i love it when i play something that someone's heard probably on tv or just maybe on a pot um you know a playlist somewhere and they light up and um you know i i get emails and calls and um Kind of well, social media. You know, fans have immediate access to you. It's crazy. If fans will, you know, message me on Instagram. Oh, I love that new song. This this was happening when I heard that song, and you know, usually it's a it's kind of like a surprise probably when they hear my song, and then they connect who I am because they probably have seen it. Um, with a tv show first or in a movie first and then oh that's amy that's amy stroop that's who that is and then being between danger Twin sugar and the hilos and amy there's a whole nother puzzle to i'm sure for people to figure out under those hats too
0: what what song do you think is the one that people you know most talk about and come up to you and and want to talk about
2: well I'll say the the first one, um, and it's still the most I think you know my highest played song or downloaded song is a song called "Hold On To Hope Love," and it's it was it's it was in a weird tuning. Um, you know I I used to watch Patty Griffin and she uses all kinds of tunings and she's one of my favorite people, you know, growing up to try to emulate. And I messed with a tuning that I'd seen her play with. It was kind of an open. It was a C sharp tuning actually. And, um, I wrote this song and it was basically, I wrote it for a friend who had been through a breakup and when you're in your twenties and you go through a breakup, you think it's the end of the world. And, I was like, I have so much hope for you. You're going to be fine. You're 20, <laughs> yeah. you know, but being in the South and everyone's, you know, got a kid by 18 um, when you're maybe 21 and going through a breakup, it's the worst thing. And so uh, it started out writing it for that. And then, man, I, I, I got to say, like the guitar and the harmonics of that song just took me to this other place. And but yeah, that's the song that um, I it. One of the coolest stories, I guess, with connecting with someone, it was, a, it was on a show called Private Practice in this montage scene. And I had a friend whose mother was in intensive care, and she couldn't go back to see what was going on in the surgery. And so they were making her wait in the waiting room. Private Practice comes on, the song's playing, and she just starts bawling because she knew the song well. But she, was, she texted me and was like, it's like you're here saying it's going to be okay. You know, and those stories, I mean, good grief, you know. Yeah, a little bit. Um, Like I said, it's in a weird tuning, but let me see if I can play it on a regular tuning.
1: Hold on to hope, love. I searched high and low for you. For you. So hold on Stronger to Me And you Someday soon I'll find You Someday soon I'll know You Someday
2: It has a, a pretty big instrumental part that if I had my other guitar, I'd totally play it for you, but yeah. string arrangement.
0: I'll tell you, as we as we close, um, I would love to hear a little bit of magic. Uh, I know this album for you is, is quite magical. There's a lot of sort of subliminal meanings with that song, this whole project, sure. where you are in your life. I know you're you're super positive, upbeat person and you can see that because, you know, you've you've kind of your journey has taken all these little paths, you know, and it's always been the right path for you.
2: Sure. I think, you know, it's something like being joyful is something you have to fight for as you can listen to some of my other songs, you know, if you're digging around and hear a lot of sadness but I think songwriting has kept me sane and it has really kept me positive because it's I think it's important for people to feel their feelings and for me that's just kind of subconsciously writing songs and it kind of what helps me process life and so um, I definitely say it's been a gift to have the ability to have music in my life and you know be okay with that um the song magic i i called up a friend in la um mm-hmm. who i work with uh, secret road and, and i said hey hey jess i'm really wanting to get out of my internal metronome i love everyone i work with in nashville but can you just get me a co-write with someone that is like i would never probably think of to call myself and she's like oh i got somebody for you and so um, we met up at 10 p.m. at night, which if you're a Nashville songer, you you write from 10 a.m. till about two, and then maybe chill and do do another session, maybe, but it, not 10 o'clock at night. And right. so I was like, oh, "Is there going what's gonna happen in this you know studio?" But I met up with these guys, and you know they've worked with a lot of um, R&B people, um, like Kendrick Lamar, and um, just a bunch of people. And so we met up and. It was incredible. This this kid, Taylor, he just started playing a bass line that you hear in Magic. And um, Wesley, this other incredible guitar player, actually, he was playing beats on his computer. And I was like, don't stop. Keep looping that. And um, Mary Hooper, a friend that we co-write with a lot, and I co-write with a lot in Nashville, came out to write. And we were like, this is awesome. And so all of a sudden, in about an hour and a half, we had the song Magic. And it became the song, I, I guess, that gave me hope for myself for a new record because I was like, okay, I can go with this sound. I can go with this vibe. I can go with these, you know, this theme. Um, and I didn't know it was leading me to the Helena Memphis, but it totally was leading me into that Helena Memphis mind state or state of mind. Um, mind state, I make a new word. But anyways, <laughs> but yeah, um, again, I, I can play it on acoustic
1: if you, if you yeah. want me to try it. Mm-hmm. This, Let's take us out with this. Okay. Yeah. I'm sticking with you, honey You make the whole world sunny Hey, hey, hey Hey, hey, hey You got that golden eye Been loving it from the start Hey, hey, hey Hey, hey, hey. Look at you go, look at you now Turning heads all over this town Cause you've got the magic you've got the magic go ahead do you think go ahead do you think go ahead do you thing, go ahead go ahead <laughs> amy
0: stroop Thank you so much for coming in today. Helen of Memphis is the new album, and you got to mm-hmm. run out and get that. And obviously, she's going to be on tour with Rufus Wainwright, but um, she, Amy Stroop, you got to go out and check her out. Thank,
2: Thank you so much.
0: Thank, Thank you. Yeah. Before we let you go, we want to welcome you to the B side. Here's a chance for us to have a little fun and tell one more story. As Amy was packing up, she told us about a concert the city of Nashville puts on for the residents every New Year's Eve. Well, when the clock strikes 12, almost anything can happen. In this case, she made the most of her moment. Once again, here's Amy Stroop.
2: About two years ago, I think, Sugar in the Hilo is my band was asked to play downtown every year Nashville throws this huge party it's free and they bring in bands and so my band Sugar and the Hilos was going to play right before Chris Stapleton, who was playing right before Kings of Leon. Mm-hmm. And then, so we had rehearsed and practiced because we were like, all right, we got we to gotta be on for this. Um, and so we play the show. And then the head of, uh, his name is Butch, that Butch called and said, hey, Amy, will you sing Old Lang Syne with Kings of Leon at the end? And so that what was going to happen is they were supposed to play it and I was kind of going to sing with them.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So... Fireworks are going off. It's midnight, right? Fireworks are going off. Um, they're dropping confetti. Everyone's cheersing. And it's the moment where I'm supposed to step up and sing. And the Kings of Leon lead singer, he, he doesn't step up with me. And Trent was supposed to step up too. From Sugar, we're kind of going to all do it together. none of them—they both are just like kissing their wives and like <laughs> cheersing into the night. And so, literally in front of a hundred and fifty thousand people, just me with the Kings of Leon guys, the band. I was like singing, and all my friends were like, "Yes!" <laughs> it was—it was a crazy moment. Um, I don't know what got into me, but I just stepped to the front of the stage and was like, "They're not—they're supposed to be doing this. They're not doing this." And so, basically, you know, the Kings guys are like back. Me up.
1: <laughs> it
2: was it was pretty wild. So that's there's a great. there's a picture in the newspaper with me on the front, like with a glass raised, singing oh, with, wow. in front of like a bunch of people. But yeah, that's one really random. Well, that's moment. cool.
0: You took the moment. You took the stage.
2: <laughs> it was yeah, and what's funny is my I'm actually kind of shy when it comes to that stuff and so my friends like, "What? This is awesome." <laughs> it's the road. There's always something.
0: <laughs> hey, listen, I really appreciate it. Best of luck yes, thank with you. you in in the future and uh, thanks a lot for coming in.
2: Yes, thanks so much.
0: Thanks again for listening to Children of Song, the podcast everyone's talking about. Till next time, I'm Brad Newman. Thanks for listening.
1: This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com.